0: Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Can you hear a ring of desperation in these words? They come from a man so broken, he fears losing the most important things in his life real joy, a clean conscience, and intimacy with God. King David sinned in a big way with a bathing beauty. He also shows us how a man gets right with God. God's arm is never too short that it cannot save and restore a shattered life. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now.
1: Even heroes can make tragic mistakes. What makes them heroes is what they do next. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. And if you were to list the greatest heroes in the Bible, David would be right near the top of the list. But we learn more about him from his failings than his successes. Today, Ron explains how we can turn our setback into a comeback as he continues his teaching series, Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's our new and expanded website, somethinggoodradio.org. From Psalm 51, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, David, a broken man after God's own heart.
0: Sweet and, you know, as lovable and huggable as can be as a little baby, oh, we didn't realize this, this baby's arriving corrupted by sin. and It doesn't take very long to figure that out, right? And everything about our life and our world and the brokenness in our world Carl Manager was right. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Whatever happened to sin? It explains all the mess that this world is in. And if you diagnose it properly, then, then you, can, you can find the right remedy. So David says, I know that I've sinned. I understand the seriousness of my sin. By the way, to illustrate that a little bit more, suppose I slap you in the face. What happens? Probably you'll slap me back, right? <laughs> and we'll get into one of those tussles. Maybe one or the other of us will uh, uh, file an assault charge. I hope not. But, you know, I slap you, you slap me. Okay, we go on our way. And but what if I, I walk up and slap the face of the President of the United States? What would happen to me? Yeah, I'd go, along, I'd go away for a very, very long time, wouldn't I? Yeah okay? Because the seriousness of the action is determined by who you did it to, right? Against thee, and thee alone have I sinned. So, I know I've sinned. I understand the seriousness of my sin. I understand why I have sinned. I was conceived in sin. And then he says, I, I, I know there are no secrets with you, God. You know everything. He says, behold, you delight Verse 6, in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David knows I can't keep a secret from God. I, I may keep it hidden from people who know me best, but God knows everything. Write this down. It is true. A secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. You'll never keep a secret from God. And David knows this. He's fessing up after he's faced up. By the way, now is probably a good time to go to the corollary, Psalm 51. Go with me to Psalm chapter 32 for a moment, Psalm 32. Uh, David talks even more about what he was going through at the time, and he says in Psalm 32, verse 3, "'For when I kept silent,' My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Is there a connection between hidden sin and my physical well-being? David alludes to that. David wasn't as physically healthy. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I just wasn't physically like I I should have been because I was keeping silent. Verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Relief did not come for David until he confessed. Confession is when I verbally fess up and agree with God that what God says is wrong is wrong. That's confession. And confession is good for the soul, isn't it? Have you ever heard that? That's not exactly the way the Bible says it, but that's kind of what David is saying. It's good for the soul. It's good for the body. In fact, James chapter 5 and verse 16, James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Get this. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. Uh, You you fess up to God. He's the highest moral authority in the universe. But James says, you know, in the body of Christ, as we experience authentic biblical community, the confessing of our sins to one another leads to healing. And you're saying, Pastor, I don't know about that. (laughs) I understand. That assumes it's a safe place in the body of Christ for us to reveal our, our brokenness, right, and to say, I've blown it. And it isn't always a safe place. I, I understand that. I understand that. It's what being part of the body of Christ is all about, though. That's why we encourage you, find a life group. Find a life group where you've, you've, you've got your peeps, and you're so tight with your peeps that, yes, You could even call up a trusted friend and say, I need to share something with you. And you know that trusted friend is not going to tweet about it. You know that trusted friend is not going to gossip about it. You know that trusted friend is not going to judge you. They're going to pray for you, just like James says. That's the way the body of Christ works at its best, and we have to work hard to become that safe place for broken people because we're all cracked pots, right? And this sort of confession is healing to us. So David faced up. He fessed up. (laughs) Now it's time for the cleanup. Now let's go back to verse 2 for this. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David has felt dirty this last 12 months or so. You know, he's, he's like an automobile where, you know, you haven't, you haven't changed oil for 10 or 20 or 30,000 miles, and it's just running a little sluggish, okay? He needs a cleansing. He needs a cleansing. By the way, the Bible tells us to believers, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, I describe that as the Christian's bar of soap. You need, you need to wash yourself every day. Confession is the way to do that. Or, or it's like the, uh, the, the Christian's way of changing oil regularly, daily. I'm going to confess and let him cleanse, make sure I've got the Holy Spirit flowing through me in a cleansing kind of way. David goes on in verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop. I'll come back to that. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He had lost the joy of his salvation during this time. It just just wasn't clicking. The joy was gone. The gladness was gone. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then I love verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If God wasn't willing and able to do that, I don't think David would have asked for it. Is there a way to go from broken to blessed again? Yeah, you've got to fess up, you've got to face up. But only God can do the cleanup. And it's interesting how David appeals to uh, hyssop here. He says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a small leafy shrub that was used in the purification ceremonies in the Old Testament. Uh, David is appealing to the only remedy God has ever put forth for the cleansing of our sins and the cleansing of our souls, and that's a blood atonement. So think back to the Passover when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt. And on that, that fateful night when the death angel passed over Egypt, the Israelites were told to, to sacrifice the spotless lamb and take the blood and paint it on the doorpost. you remember that? And the death angel passed over those who were protected by the blood. And they would take this uh, uh, small leafy shrub known as hyssop and they would dip it in the blood and, and paint. It was used in, in those kinds of uh, purification ceremonies and other purification ceremonies throughout the Old Testament and their sacrificial system. What, what David is saying is my, my only remedy, my only hope for cleansing is, is a blood atonement.
1: We'll return to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones in just a moment. To hear any of Ron's messages on demand, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, use the library tab at the top of the homepage to find resources that will help encourage you in your faith. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good only exists through the faithful prayer and financial support of listeners like you. Today, as you give, we'll give you access to download the complete series you're hearing now, Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. That's Cracked Pots. How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org, that's somethinggoodradio.org, or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's join Ron for the second half of today's Something Good Radio message. David, a broken man after God's own heart.
0: Uh, Somebody once said that you can go to any place in the Bible, Old and New Testament, and you can make a beeline to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's easy to do here in Psalm chapter 51, because here he has in mind not only the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and the blood atonement, but all of that was a foreshadowing of the once-for-all blood sacrifice that came through Jesus Christ on his cross. And you and I might spill blood, maybe on my white shirt, and it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to make as white as snow. But God's only cleansing agent for the stain and the stench of sin in our life is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's all throughout the Old and New Testament. In fact, the first hint of it is in Genesis chapter 3, when the fall took place, and Adam and Eve were ashamed and, and, and naked. And what did God do? Sacrificed two animals over here, and out of the animal skins, made them an Armani suit. <laughs> well, not really, but you, know, you understand what I'm saying. Clothe them. There was a blood sacrifice. We call that the proto-evangelium, the first gospel, the first hint that it requires a blood sacrifice to cover our sins, to blot out the transgression to cleanse us before a holy God. And David is crying out to God. He's facing up. He's fessing up. He's saying, now, clean me up. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, could we talk about how David, who was blessed, went from blessed to broken? Sure, we could diagnose all of that, and we could talk about all of the Uh, boundaries you need to put in place and how, you know, you follow hard after Jesus and, you know, accountability is required. Okay, he messed up. He messed up big. He violated the sixth and seventh commandment. Is there a pathway from brokenness when you're broken because of your own sin? You have nobody to blame but yourself. Is there a pathway back to to blessedness? Yeah, there is. You got to face up you got to fess up and ask God to clean you up, and that's the only way. I think Carl Menninger was right, whatever happened to sin. You won't get to this remedy until you diagnose things properly until god has returned to his rightful place as the highest moral authority in the universe and the seriousness of sin not just adultery and murder but gossip and slander and backbiting and lying and cheat whatever it is that when the holy spirit brings the conviction of our heart to our hearts that we've done something wrong we need to understand the seriousness of it There are no little white lies. We have violated the holiness and righteousness of the highest court in the land. Thankfully, that God is abundant in mercy. (laughs) He never runs out of mercy. In fact, go back to verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He appeals to the love of God once twice to God's mercy. What is steadfast love? It means God will never love you more tomorrow than He did today because you behaved properly. Likewise, He doesn't love you less tomorrow than He did today because you behaved poorly. His love is steadfast. It's steady, never changes. God just loves you. And His mercy, (laughs) He says, uh, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He never runs out of mercy, not once. I, I, whatever you did, there's enough mercy, God withholding His divine retributive punishment, His justice against sin. And He had enough mercy to send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. The the cross of Jesus Christ, friends, makes absolutely no sense apart from understanding the seriousness of sin and how it offends a holy and righteous God. Once we understand He is the highest moral authority in the universe and He establishes what is right and wrong, what is unholy and what is holy, what is unrighteous and what is righteous, then the cross of Jesus Christ, we say, wow, what amazing grace that He would do something like this for us, that He would give us something we didn't deserve, that He would withhold something, a punishment we did deserve, and direct that punishment to His Son, Jesus Christ. You you want to get some sense of the seriousness of sin? Just look at the cross. And the time when the the Father literally turned His back for the first time in all time in Turned his back on his own son because of of sin. The cross of Jesus Christ uh, makes perfect sense when we understand sin the way David understood sin. And we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe we ought to have a verse in there, amazing mercy that withheld the punishment that should have been mine. David goes forward in Psalm 51, from broken to blessed. He even imagines that time, verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. He remembers a time or envisions a time when God will use him again. And then he'll probably tell the story of his own brokenness. You know, we're so good at hiding our brokenness, right? Putting the mask on. But even when the brokenness comes as a result of your own sin and you have nobody to blame but yourself, you can't even say, the devil made me do it. No, I just did it. And God restores you. You face up, you fess up, you clean up. Now you've got a story to tell, a story that's going to encourage somebody who's, who's as broken as you are. And I want to encourage you to use that story. Uh, the story of your brokenness. Remember, the power of God flows through our brokenness. We have this treasure in jars of clay, in cracked pots like we are. And the power of God flows and the glory of God flows through your life and my life when we're willing, huh, like David, to write it down in a book. You know, sometimes I say, I, w- I wouldn't want to be David. I've got all my worst days, my darkest days for everybody to read so I think David's modeling something for us here. You know, face up, fess up, clean up, talk it up. Share your story. It'll encourage somebody else. And you can say to somebody else, listen, I'm not perfect either. I'm just forgiven. I'm a recipient of God's grace and His mercy. Uh, ho- hopefully I'm, 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 I'm being redeemed, I'm being sanctified. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And let me tell you where I was when I wasn't following him. I was in a broken mess, but he rescued me from that because of the abundance of his mercy and his steadfast love, and he can do the same for you. That's a story to tell. It's a story that we'll preach a thousand, ten billion times if we will let the glory of God and the power of God shine through the cracked pots that we are.
1: Thanks for being here for today's Something Good radio message, David, a broken man after God's own heart. And Ron, let's dig a little deeper into this idea about David being a man after God's own heart. I think what many people may sometimes wonder is, how can a man who commits adultery and murder still be considered a man after God's own heart? Well, that is a great
0: question, Brian. Let me first say that being a man after God's own heart is not really about good performance. In fact, perhaps the greatest example of this quality in David came after a bad performance. I talked about Psalm 51 today, and that's where we see the best illustration of what it means to be a person after God's own heart. But let me back up and give some additional thoughts. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, it says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So the answer as to why David was called a man after God's own heart is found right there in the verse. He did whatever God wanted him to do. Of course, that leads to your question about David's sin, something God clearly did not want him to do. So let's back up a bit further. Part of the reason David was called a man after God's own heart was that he had absolute faith in God. Look no further than the way he slayed Goliath. Listen to what David says in 1 Samuel 17 before he ever faces the giant. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Oh, would that we all had that kind of faith, Brian. Brian. Quickly now, a couple of other examples. King David loved God's law and he delighted in it. He was thankful to God in all seasons, in good times and in bad. And finally, back to the original point, he was truly repentant when he failed. David messed up and he fessed up. He sought God in Psalm 51, asking God to renew a right spirit within him and to return him to the joy of his salvation. So, uh, Brian, if there's someone out there who wants to be a person after God's own heart, go to Psalm 51 and live there for a few days. That will tell you all you need to know about being a person after God's own heart.
1: That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on King David, a man after God's own heart in spite of his imperfections. Coming your way tomorrow, Dr. Ron Jones' message, Mary Magdalene, A Tormented Soul Set Free. What's in store for us next time, Ron, as you continue your series, Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. Yes, let's do that, Brian.
0: You know, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with Mary Magdalene, but some may have been misled about her history. There have been many false statements made about her throughout the years, but she was not, for example, a prostitute. She was not the woman Jesus saved from being stoned to death. And she was certainly never married to Jesus. That heretical idea made it all the way to the silver screen in the motion picture, The Da Vinci Code. But Mary certainly had her demons, seven of them to be exact, according to the scriptures. And then she met Jesus, and Jesus transformed her. I'll be examining several aspects of this beautiful story of redemption over the next couple of days, right here on Something
1: Good Radio. Join us then for Something Good as Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Mary Magdalene, a tormented soul set free. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.